0: Hello and welcome to HR Unplugged episode 36, the state of compensation, new data and how companies should respond. Compensation is a complicated topic for so many businesses. Salary transparency, comp discussions, and benefits all add to the complexity and critical need for clear strategy. In this episode, Anita Grantham, Vanessa Brulot, and special guest Alex Burton walk us through a new Bamboo HR report detailing the latest findings on compensation in the workplace and how you can build a plan that will work for your organization. You'll learn about salary woes and wants and how they compare to 2022, pay transparency and compensation philosophy. Thank you for tuning in. Today's episode is brought to you by Bamboo HR, the complete HR software. Simplify HR with award-winning solutions for everything from hire to retire. With Bamboo
1: HR. Hi there, I'm Bamboo HR. Yes, the actual software. Just a moment, dearie, I'm here too. Spreadsheets? You're still around? I thought you retired.
2: Well, don't forget about me. Who are you? I'm Clunky HR
0: Software. I know all, I see all.
1: So you all do hiring? Onboarding? Time tracking? Well, I can try. I'm a trier, that's for sure.
0: Assuming people don't get lost in my maze of endless clicks or give up waiting for support, you
2: betcha I can do it. (laughs) Uh,
1: And payroll? Can you do a full payroll without any errors? I don't know anything about that, but I can do sums and columns. People love columns.
2: I can do anything. Sort of, eventually.
1: Are you user-friendly, fast, accurate, affordable? Do you set entire organizations free to do great work?
2: Well, I... Uh... Wait,
1: did I mention Rose?
2: I do Rose too. What, what does user-friendly even mean?
1: <sighs> Go ahead, get a free demo today at BambooHR.com.
0: We have an exciting return guest today for our episode of HR Unplugged. I'd like to welcome Alex Burton, who leads our total rewards here at Bamboo HR. Welcome, Alex, and welcome back to HR Unplugged. You had so much fun with us the last time you were here. You decided to come back. So welcome. We're so happy to have you here again. Introduce yourself so our audience can get to know you.
2: Yeah, great to great to be back. It, it feels like yesterday, um, even though it's, it's been a couple months, um, I guess that's a plug for everyone to go back. If you didn't see the last episode that I was on, uh, I think it was a good one. A uh, little biased there, uh, but I do have uh, been here at Baylor HR for uh, just under two years and lead our total rewards function. So um, compensation, benefits, uh, any any type of reward, um, it, it gets me pretty amped up to talk about. about. So let's dive in.
0: All right, well, let's get started. Like you said, I'm excited about our episode today because we have a sneak peek at some data from a new Bamboo HR report on compensation. This report will be released on December 12th. Today, we'll be reading out a few of the data points and then talking about that means and how companies should respond. Um, Compensation is a tricky topic, so I'm looking forward to hearing what you both have to say on this. To start, let's let's talk quickly about the new info on salary increases in the last year. Anita, can you share? I'm oh, excited to share this data with
1: all of you. Whenever we have a new survey, it always gives us new insights. But what's interesting is not a lot is changing in compensation. Salary increases are becoming less common over the last year. Only two in five of salaried employees haven't received a salary increase in the last 12 months. Uh, of those who did receive a salary increase the average increase was 4.6 percent in 2022 for reference it was six just over six percent so they are dropping so it's always interesting to talk about compensation in a recession and so we're excited to get into kind of the meatiness of what all of this means you know on average though while the numbers are going down it seems like there aren't a lot of big changes to highlight like for instance men are still have a higher likelihood of earning salary increases over women. 62% of men had some sort of salary increase in the last 12 months. Out of those who received a salary increase, men averaged almost a 5% increase compared to women at 3.5%. I'd be really curious about why you all think that's the case still. Um, You know, I just think that's an interesting data point. Um, You know, curious, Vanessa, what your thoughts are?
0: Well, I think if things are, are tracking on a similar path to last year, I'd love to know what you recommend for HR folks and managers who have had, have those hard conversations with employees. I know, sorry. And I know that you had just asked about the, the men have the higher likelihood of earning a salary. Um, and, and to just answer that question, like it's, it's very interesting. I wonder if there's, you know, does it, does it mean that there's not like, um, you know, a fair workplace environment? Do they have like equitable programs in place to make sure that there's fairness in how they're viewing those, like how they're giving those raises? Yeah, you know, Alex, I'm curious your thought. One of the things that we
1: do is we compare um, men and women in the same type job against this. But if you don't have your jobs really defined and you don't have everybody leveled accurately so you can compare apples to apples, I wonder about I wonder about this data. Um, So I think, you know, it'll be interesting. This compensation report comes from a a survey we put out to a bunch of different employers and they participate. It's not from our own database inside Bamboo. So Alex, I'm curious on your thoughts on this too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Pay equity is always uh, a very nuanced discussion uh, because there's, that with with any data set there's a million different ways that you can cut it and slice it and and look at it. so i i think it is important as as these things are looked at we're we're comparing you know people of the same job uh, same job families and you know similar levels uh and, and making sure that that those are the ways that we're, we're looking at it um but yeah i i think it continues to be a problem and i think it's it's important for us to to continue to highlight and and ensure that Every company is, is doing their best to have programs in place to watch for it, to, uh, to try and remove that bias and uh, make sure that we're, we're giving these salary increases in a way that that's very equitable.
1: And this kind of goes to our next point. You know, I was doing a mentoring call yesterday, and a lot of it is assigning a market or merit budget. I know Alex has spent a lot of time going out and collecting data on what market and merit budgets are shaping up to be for 2024 and also defining for the employee base what the difference is between market and merit. So I think Alex is going to talk about the difference between those two and then what happens when you have significant movement in different roles. So everybody know that this that this is the world uh the year or the decade of AI. We've seen a lot of market movement and AI roles and what the market is paying for them. If you have roles that are having substantial movement, you have one set bucketed budget. What do you do for people that are performing well? Like that's that's tough to be able to participate and pay both those groups really competitively when you have a finite budget to be able to adhere to. So, and also, you know, defining the difference between cost of labor and cost of living. Alex has some great definitions for this. So I'll pass it over to you because I know this is a passion area for you to talk about, Alex.
2: Yeah, this is, this is something that we, uh, even here at Bambu, we are, are have a, a strong focus on right now of total rewards training. We've just released a new training to our, our, all of our leaders to, to help them understand these, these principles, uh, and you know, there, there's more than one way to do it. But for the most part, most companies are approaching pay from uh, the uh, the cost of labor perspective rather than the cost of living. Um, and so the cost of labor, meaning what what is it? What is the market demanding that someone is paid for us to do a specific job versus the cost of living, which is driven by, you know, the macroeconomic situation? How much does it cost for you to buy the things that you need to 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 live. Um, and so the the labor market is is a little bit different and there's nuances in and cost of living does have a, a correlation and an impact on the cost of labor. Um, yeah. But as as we approach these sort of decisions of hey, how much budget should we do? How much should we budget for our merit? How much should we budget for our market? Those are those are decisions that I think uh, need to be strongly based in in data. Um, as you work with your uh, executive team, as you work with your finance partner, um, your argument for why you should spend the dollars, the, you know, those, those scarce resources of the company, uh, your argument will be so much stronger as you have data points um, from, from third parties that, that you can say, hey, X, Y, and Z, these are the reasons why we should have a merit budget of this and a market budget of this. Um, and so, you know, as we've gone to market, we we've talked to um, our salary survey uh, software that we we uh, participate in. Uh, they have market data points that come through for for merit and market. And then we, you know, you can even just Google, uh, a, and there's lots of free sources out there that that give um, leading indications of where merit budgets are going to go in the next year, and particularly on the market side, that that's an interesting thing. Um, we we keep very careful tracking of how our ranges if we're looking at the market data that we have how they're progressing over uh, a year's time so we we continue to see pressure and so as we talked with our finance uh, our finance friends uh we talked to them about how we we have a need to continue to move our ranges And we don't want our people to just suddenly fall lower in their ranges because the markets move. We need to to have to stay competitive and live our compensation philosophy. We need budgets to allocate towards that. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, and Alex, it's I I love that you're talking about that because like with that comp philosophy, I love what David Barden put up here is I think the root of the equity issue is companies not holding firm when presented with counters of various negotiation tactics. Males, in my experience, are more likely to push harder for higher salaries versus females. This means that leadership in HR should hold firm. It it would mean creating an equity issue. I know others had said that males are more likely to ask for raises. And so I I like what you're saying is like staying firm on like, what is your comp philosophy? Deciding on that and like, what are the best practices that you're going to follow, you know, in each of these steps, whether they're currently employed versus as well as the employees that you're looking to hire on? Like, how are you going to make sure that you're creating equitable practices or best practices in your hiring uh, strategy, um, because it's very important because then you run into equity issues or pay equity issues like when they're here. And so you can hit that right up front. We've talked a lot about it as a team, but I'm
1: not um, I'm not a proponent of dies and saves. So what that means is this is the problem that's being highlighted here. As I went, I got another offer. I'm coming back to Alex and I'm saying, hey, do you want to do you want to meet that offer or what are you going to do? And I think that's what you're saying is men might be more likely to have that conversation and use that external leverage where women aren't. I definitely think that's the case. But if you have a kind of a policy inside your organization that this is our paid philosophy, like what Vanessa said, and if you go out and you engage with other things, we're not going to come in and match offers. Because as soon as you do that, you're teaching people that the best way to get a raise is to go out and get another offer and then you're going to match it. And then if you don't do it consistently, then everybody's all off base, and you might as well not have a pay philosophy. And look, a pay philosophy can be: we are the wild west. We on our dives and saves. We pay what the market bears. We hire and pay most for our current pain. But you just need to outline and articulate. Remember, this is HR unplugged. It's a no judgment zone. My push and Alex and Vanessa's push is that you articulate what it is and what it's not, so that leaders can operate inside that framework and be successful.
0: I love that. Thank you for the, for the ad there, Anita. Anita, I know in our prep call, you brought up uh, the curve. Can you share your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I think this also ties to
1: performance. So you can't really do a market and merit without a conversation around performance. And so if that's, you know, we've got to get our head around that and people are really, you know, anti a performance curve. Um, If you want to read about it, you can Google Jack Welch. I think he's the most famous for implementing a performance curve. Although Amazon is also very disciplined, you know, to getting rid of their bottom 15% every year. And so I think it's about really being able to recognize and having your leaders be able to recognize what performance is and what it's not. And are you calibrating it across an organization so that when you have a merit budget, you're able to allocate it consistently across the org. And like, look, folks, this is hard work. It's not easy. You have to have a solid job description. You have to have a list of OKRs or goals. You have to know if people are meeting or achieving those. So there's a lot of work built into this, but you can't really handle the pay issues unless you have all of that set up. Alex, what do you think?
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting question. And and like going back to the very root of this word merit, like we we talk about merit budgets, we talk about merit increases, but... That that's all built on this idea of a meritocracy which is rewarding based on performance so uh really the it, the idea of a curve is is based on this uh, this that's called the pareto principle is is that 20% of your workforce is delivering 80% of your workload and so you need to reward these people because They're the ones that can go out in the market and demand a higher, uh, higher salary uh, from another offer, and so you need to ensure that these top performers stay. Um, And I think you kind of alluded to this, but to to pay with a, a finite budget to pay someone more, that means someone else is getting less, and so you have to have your performance really, your performance evaluation super dialed in. And then awarding increases becomes uh, a lot simpler because you can really highlight, oh, this person is outperforming. They're driving more value, so we should pay them more. Um, So I I think like people, I I think I've heard a lot of people over the years talk about they don't like the idea of forcing a curve. um, But in reality, there should be a natural curve in your organization. Because when we have a closed environment a finite number of people, uh, you know, it's it's not going to be very egalitarian in reality and based on what value people are driving. So there should be somewhat of a natural curve. Mm
1: -hmm. And that's what's interesting, Alex. I mean, I think you and Vanessa are on the business all the time having these conversations is a lie. I mean, I think it boils down to. Leaders used to be egalitarian because they don't want to have the conversation around performance because they haven't outlined what performance looks like from a leadership standpoint, and they aren't looking up to a leader that's doing that. So if you talk about a cascade, performance is the biggest cascade activity that you engage in as an organization. And so if your CEO, because the CEO is responsible for performance at any organization, HR is not responsible for performance, people. We are responsible for building a framework that helps leaders manage and measure performance, but we are not responsible for performance. So that's one big shift I'd love us to get behind and help our leaders do that. And if our leaders are doing that at all levels, it's much easier to engage in these conversations, understand who's really meeting it. And again, in our no judgment zone, if you wanna be egalitarian and everybody gets the same, Everybody can do that, but that is a talent philosophy question. That means that we don't really hire top performers because top performers in my experience come to make money. And so if you're not willing to differentiate based on performance to have people make more money, then we're gonna hire, you know, average, average people across the world, which is fine. We can do that and still be, we can still be mediocre and still be in business. We can have a lifestyle business and that's okay, right? But we should just call it out and hire trained and fired to it. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, totally, totally agree with that sentiment of and we talked about this in in our last episode together the these the idea of you know it having that talent that talent philosophy and then building on that your rewards philosophy so it it ultimately comes down to what is the priority of your organization from the talent perspective from a rewards perspective and ultimately that's going to have an impact on how your, your organization performs, but it is, there is no one, one way is right. One way is not right. Um, But the one other thing I would highlight is I think that at every organization I've ever seen that performance, you know, those conversations of performance, those evaluations of performance is the biggest um, opportunity for development of the leadership at any company in a in a broad stroke. So I think like as as you, you as leaders continue to figure out what okay, how do we implement our rewards philosophy and our performance and talent philosophy, like trying to really instill, okay, how are we going to evaluate performance is is something that can move the needle, I think, the most out of out of anything.
0: I love that. The one thing that uh, Kelsey always says is like, you have careers in your hands as a leader. (laughs) And uh, with, with those careers in your hands, like like Alex was saying, like you like you have to develop them, and I love that Teresa had mentioned merit increases work when there's a two way conversation. And is your organization do they believe in that development and are they willing to have those open conversations to help develop their employees, including the ones that are the top performers that do get the merit increases? So. Uh, I think all this is really helpful and what I'm getting is that as an HR leader, you need to know what your strategy is ahead of time and that can really help you dictate what those conversations look like. So let's get into our next question. What does the data say about employee happiness and salary? Anita?
1: Well, so this is where I don't think things have changed. I don't know about you two, but I've never met a happy worker about salary. I haven't, like I've never met the person that's like, I'm so happy with what I get paid and I don't wanna make more money. So like 58 percent of team members are content or happy with their current financial compensation. And that's 11 points lower than it was last year at 69%. So I think that's interesting. It's actually higher than I thought it would be. You know, in this question, survey respondents could pick from more than one answer. You can see the answers that they could get to here. And then it was interesting, you know, 30% of team members feel negatively about their financial compensation. And this was an increase of 7% over 2022 data. So I think that's interesting. So they're less happy. They feel negative about their compensation. And they're also um, more dissatisfied with their most recent salary increase. So I think that's where our jobs, everybody have just gotten so much more difficult You know, we're seeing an intersect of a tough economy. Companies aren't performing as well. There's not as large of a budget for these types of increases, you know, so they don't think their compensation should be decreased even when the economy isn't doing well. And this is what's so hard. This is why business acumen, town halls, communication about the state of the business are so important because if you're not going to, you know, pay team members like they're used to getting paid and the business isn't performing the way it performed in years past, and you're not communicating that, it's really challenging to help team members see. And that's where you really wanna make sure that all of your expenses line up, right? If you're spending a bunch of money on travel and entertainment and things like that, but you're not giving money in raises, like that's a good conversation to have about what means most and what matters most to your base and how those things should be, be communicated. I mean, you know, I think happy is a really loaded word. I think happiness is a choice by each individual. I don't believe as a people team that I am responsible for other people's happiness. And so then I wanna go back to the Daniel Pink work from about, I think it's probably a decade ago, to me that's telling me that their basic needs aren't being met. And that could definitely be driven by this inflationary type environment. I mean, I was telling this crew in the prep, I had a headache getting on the plane last week. I went to go get some ibuprofen at the airport. A little bottle of ibuprofen cost me $11. It was only a quarter full. And, you know, that's just one tiny example of the inflation that people are feeling. And so everything is eating away at their paycheck and their paycheck isn't going up because, you know, companies can't keep up with the the pace of inflation. So I think everybody's feeling pain right now.
0: Well, Anita, what's a good response to this? Uh, David put in a, a really good comment here is one of the things that I hate hearing when doing employee surveys is when somebody mentions pay, leadership sometimes brush off with like, because they always will want a raise. And I think a lot of HR people run into that with leadership. So what what's maybe a good response to that? So that's where Alex and I have worked a lot on this, this
1: year, and we wanna share it with you. They can't be happier about pay like that's just a brutal fact of where companies are, but you can be transparent about how they are paid. And this is something we're really committed to increasing our practices on here at Bamboo that we wanted to share with you. So do you understand how people get to the number and what's behind fewer comp adjustments? So here's some things like, this is why I hate pay surveys that are out on Google because you can't get to an apples to apples comparison. But first, understanding what the pay philosophy is. You know, if I had a dollar for some time, everybody said you should be like Google or Google does that. And I'm like, I've never worked at a company the size of Google. Google is one of the largest employers in the world. Their budget is going to be larger than mine, right? Just by the nature of who they are and what geographies are we in. Geography plays a big role into pay. If you're only in California, you're only hiring in California, your pay rates will be higher than they are in Wyoming. But if you're hiring everybody around the world or around the US, then your pay rates might be different too. So I think geo is a big piece. Our revenue numbers the same from company to company because part of what you can pay is dependent on your revenue, right? The revenue of Bamboo HR isn't what the revenue is of Google. Do you use a survey? Do you have a data source? I saw a number of you ask working Bamboo's whose data sources. We do use Radford as our primary like primary data source, but that is a paid survey, it is expensive. And so I think there are some things in the session that Alex and I did before on some other ways to get survey information. What are the inputs into how that number is decided and where in the scale is the range penetration and what are you going to allow with the range? Like you can be plus or minus 15% or 25% from midpoint and where people are placed in the range can depend on the proficiency of their role if you're not exceptional on defining proficiency in the role, it becomes hard to have pay transparency. Alex, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I, I, I love this idea of process transparency, um, and, and this is the idea of, you know, we, and we'll dive into this in a little bit of there's this spectrum of pay transparency from opaque, completely opaque to everyone knows everything, right? And most, 99% of us live in a, a little window in the middle somewhere. Um, But the idea is if you can help your team members understand how you got from whatever, whatever the whole process to get to what their number is, because ultimately that's what they see. That's what they, uh, you know, associate their satisfaction with is what their pay is. If they can have understanding um, of how that number is derived, then it's not a black box. They can, maybe they're not going to be happy, but they they can be, you know, they can understand. They can—they can, they can uh, accept it. Going back to that question, because I think that a, a good question of how how do you help your leaders not just brush off this idea of well, everyone always wants a wants a raise. And and I think that's to to some extent that that statement is true. I I've never met anyone in my life that was like. Yeah, I don't want any more money. Don't give me any more money. With with that in mind, I think you, you know you have to work with leaders and and help them understand the trends of your business to see okay what is our exits what is our exit surveys looking like how why are people leaving our company seeing how prevalent those those uh, you know dissatisfied dissatisfied employees are is is it five percent because they're probably always going to be a, a subset of your employees that are dissatisfied with their pay. But if it grows to a level that is unhealthy, then that's something you need to address. So I think as you look at leading indicators, lagging indicators, uh, those are those are things that you need to keep your eyes on so that you don't get away from it and you can keep your leaders engaged and understand how pay is impacting the business.
0: Well, before we move on to our next section, Anita, uh, somebody requested, can you repeat what you said about the percentage of the range based on skills? Yeah, Ben Alex, feel free to jump in. But like, if you say, Hey,
1: my pay philosophy is that we pay at the 50th. So that means that 50% of companies pay more for this job and 50% of companies pay less for this job. And so Alex is going to go out into the Radford survey. That's what we're just, we'll use as an example. He's going to say, like, right now, for that role, we're just going to hire in Utah. Um, we're going to look at the level of this role, the job description of this role. And he's going to go out and he's going to find companies that are the same size as Bamboo hiring this role in Utah for the same job. Tell me if I'm explaining this right, Alex. And it's going to pop out a range that that role is worth. It's the 50th, like in the range. So you may have people at the top of the range because they're super proficient. They have years of experience doing this job. Or maybe you're gonna take a bet on somebody. Maybe they were an analyst and you wanna bring them in at a higher level because you're betting on them that they're gonna be able to grow through the role. So depending on what your talent philosophy is for this role kind of depends on where you wanna pay that person. And then they have opportunity to move through the range. But this is where companies can jack it up. If you don't have an allocated budget for promotion and market and merit, people can't move through the range. And so they're stuck. Um, And so could take them, you know, four to six years before they're eligible for a promotion. And if the business doesn't need somebody higher in that role, they're never going to make more money again. And so being thoughtful about your budgets, your placement when you bring people in, in the range, your placement when you promote people, all of those things play into the comment that I saw later. Is that people are necessarily unhappy with their own pay but they feel unhappy because it's unfair in the process like they don't understand how the ranges work because it is it is a lot it's it i mean compensation is a technical art form alex what am i missing in that explanation you probably can say it more eloquently than i can
2: no i think there's a, a future for you to be a compensation analyst uh, i i think you, you you nailed it on the head I, and Part of this goes to, like, what what is your compensation philosophy? And, and this wraps into it. And, you know, and, uh, some people like to think about the range as a, measure, a measurement of your proficiency in the role. So if you're at the midpoint of your range, that would indicate that you are fully proficient, right? That you kind of, uh, if you have a job description, you're checking all of those boxes. And, you know, you probably hire someone... Uh, or promote someone into a role with some some of those boxes unchecked, and then as they move higher into the range, they're starting to round the corner and they're they're outperforming what their job description is. So that that's kind of a a common way to think about uh, about ranges. But yeah, like you you have to think about this holistically because if you have a merit budget that's two percent and your ranges have a spread of thirty. then that person is never, ever going to make it through your range. They're going to be stuck in that top range forever. And that's when they're going to start looking externally to say, okay, well, I'm not getting the pay increases that I expect and want here internally. I'm going to go make that up in the market, especially for your top performers. This is where they need to get those bigger increases. They can move through that range faster. They can get those promotions and you can keep them happy. And your business still gets the performance that it needs.
0: So I'm curious what your your response would be to uh, the and, and what you kind of think about with the the ones that are maybe at the top of that budgeted range and there isn't a role available or the business doesn't have a need for that next level role. Like, what what's maybe that next step or what advice would you have there?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a difficult question. I I mean, I think you need to find ways to continue to reward your top talent. Um, so. I think that's that's creating creating those opportunities for them if they don't exist. Right. Like uh, we we have a part of our promotion philosophy is there does have to be a business need and part of business need is is creating it for your top talent. So say you have someone who's uh, a manager and you need to help them. Get the things into their or into their scope that allows them to promote into a director or whatever the the case may be. But you do need to help create those opportunities so that they aren't hitting the top. But even if if that doesn't happen, I think you need to be transparent with your employee and let them know, hey, you are at the top of your band. We still value you. Uh, let's find ways to get you to your career goals and and talk about how how you can you could help them. But it, it again, it goes back to process transparency and, and enabling your leaders.
0: I love that. Transparency is key. I think we've talked about that before in this podcast. <laughs> so it's no surprise that employees are not happy or may not be happy with the current state of salary increases. But in this next section, what what does that mean for retention? What is the new data about why employees leave and their expectations on salary? Anita? people, especially great talent, there's a
1: market for great talent in any market, right? We see this here that 21% of salary workers made a change in their job situation in the last year. Now this is down from the great resignation, but people are still moving around And then out of the people that made a job change in the last year, they got more money when they made the change. So this is something to really consider, right? If somebody can leave and make more money for the same job and you're going to pay that money anyway to backfill them, what does that say about your philosophy? So those two things kind of have to be in parallel and you have to look at your exit interview data as well as your incoming data and kind of reconcile those two. Because, you know, people are still moving and still making more money as a result of those moves. So I want us just to be really careful that we're not more biased to the person that has never worked for us than we are to the person that's leaving us that we regret losing. And that's my biggest fear about some of this data that I see coming in. You know, employees are still willing to stay with a company or a job they dislike if the salary is high, which is also a problem, right? You're gonna have that kind of big jerk Who's making a lot of money, but not contributing to the culture, unless that is the culture that you have, and then that can work. Um, But those are things that I'd want to be careful about. And that's where when you see companies that have really crazy pay philosophies, paying at the 75th, at the 95th, often the culture is very toxic, but some people really thrive there and really enjoy it. So again, in a no judgment zone, that can be a workable philosophy. Although you'd want to see the output for that level of pay also go up. And if you don't have collaboration and camaraderie, then I don't know that you're gonna
0: get the ROI on that return for the investment of dollars. Well, we've talked about retention a lot on HR Unplugged, but what do you think the highlights are for HR folks that are losing people to jobs that pay more in this economy? How can we create a better bond between employees and their jobs to improve that retention and job satisfaction? What are your thoughts, Anita? You know, so this comes back to who you are. And I feel like
1: sometimes we lose sight of that. Like it depends on what you want. If you have a young family, um, security might be important to you. If you have someone in your loved one span that you're providing insurance for that has a chronic illness, security might mean more than base pay. You know, we always hear people join companies, but they leave managers. So if you have a situation like that and you're working at a more mature company, You might wanna look to work for different managers. You can still stay inside a good company and you can think about looking at your job that way. If you are a single individual and you have a lot of flexibility in what you do, then leave, jump, you know, just just do it and know. Like I saw this amazing LinkedIn post last night about this woman that lost her job. And so she talked about what she sold. Like she sold her car. She sold $9,000 of her personal belongings. She did it so she could travel around the world and she spent only $1,000 a month, you know, on being able to travel. She applied to over 500 jobs and she got rejected, I think, from all of them. So she like talked about how she optimized all of these things. And so anything is possible. I love posts like that, especially because she's doing what she wants to do and she's super happy about it. There's a time where she'll come back and she'll want to be employed, but it's not right now and that's okay. And so you have to know what you want. And oftentimes I feel like what we want is dictated by the company that we work for when we sacrifice around that. You know, I was on a walk with my husband the other day and he said, what would you do if I died? Like, how would you live your life? And I'm like, why are you asking me that question? He's like, because it tells me what exactly is important to you about how we live. And I kind of think that's interesting, right? If you take out a stability piece, like it was super interesting to play with, then you can see what's really important to you and are we optimizing for the things that are important to both of us right now because there is so much distraction in the world that i think you
0: have to come back to what's best for you so i have to add to that anita too because I, I recently had a conversation with somebody who moved their family to another country um because they I, and i and i asked him what what brought you to that decision and one of the things that they he said was i i looked at what is the perfect day what does that day look like for me like, what do I want that to look like? And he said, "Everything I've been doing right now, it doesn't fit that." And so I wanted to change it. And so it's it's very interesting. Like when you say pull out that stability aspect, or just ask yourself, what do you want your days to look like? It's like, okay, then go after it because that's important.
1: Real life is short. That's a big theme of this podcast too.
0: So we've got to do most important to us today. Yes, Alex. Any final thoughts on that before we jump to our next section?
2: Yeah, I, I think maybe I I just highlight kind of the other side because uh, Anita and Vanessa kind of talked about each individual has kind of their own own thoughts and philosophy, and and part of that is as an individual finding a company that aligns with you, and as a company, you want to find employees that align with you. So it. If you watch our previous episode that me and I were all together, we we had this cake, and at the very bottom, the the foundation is your mission and your values, and perfect, it's like I spoke it into existence. But you you have to you have to find as an employer, you should be finding employees who spit to that the, that mission. They want to live those values, um, and then you define who that talent strategy, that talent pool is. And how are you going to reward that? So it all comes back to kind of this philosophy discussion. So for example, if you pay at the 50th percentile, I think you have to be okay knowing that 50% of companies are going to pay more than what you are paying. And so you may have a slightly higher attrition rate than what you maybe uh, originally thought. So it it all comes back to a give and take. and, And maybe my last thing is just, trying to think about it from a total rewards perspective. Uh, we are talking and focusing a lot on base pay uh, in this conversation, but it always comes back to how are you rewarding your team members? Maybe you're paying at the 50th with their their base pay, but what other benefits and rewards are you providing that is going to help you retain and create satisfaction uh, with, with your company for your employees?
1: I was like dying to bring that in. And so- I just want to double down on what Alex said, like we've just been talking about base pay, but that's one component and tying back to mission, vision, values, that's your employee value proposition that we talked about too. So make sure that you're thinking about it holistically. Thanks, Alex, for bringing us back to the big picture.
0: (laughs) Well, let's dive into pay transparency. What is it and how do you decide what it means for your company? Anita? So we've kind of talked about this a little bit. We've talked about process transparency around pay.
1: And pay transparency is a spectrum. Um, Alex just mentioned this. You can be completely opaque to something that's completely transparent. And I think you have to think about what your first, what your legal obligations are. Like different states have taken different stands around this. So how do you get in compliance? How do you make sure that you're abiding by the law? And then you have to go back to your talent philosophy. Who are the people that you want to reach attract? And who are the people that you want to retain? And what's important to them about transparency? And also, how how enabled are your leaders in talking about compensation and pay? As we've illustrated on this call, pay is super complex and leaders being able to understand and share pay with their teammates that they're leading is a really important enablement skill. So we need to make sure that they're able to support any pay positioning with data, consistent decisions, and also be really thoughtful when you decide to move on this spectrum about unintended consequences from making those decisions. It can be highly impactful if you're not prepared. So I always love to encourage our people leaders to make the decision hypothetically and think two clicks away into what is the impact can be.
0: Well, in this new report, survey respondents were asked a really important question about pay transparency. They were asked to define what it meant to them. So Alex, can you share those details and a few of the other data points about pay transparency for 2023?
2: Yeah, it's it's an interesting even without looking at the data. uh, It's an interesting thing, because I don't think that pay transparency has a Definition, right? Like there's not one thing that paid transparency means. And, and I feel like there's kind of this like thought in a lot of people's mind that it's black and white. Like if you're, if you aren't transparent, you're bad. And if you are transparent, you're good. Uh, But like Anita said, it is, it is a, it's a, it's a spectrum and every company is different and is on a journey. And so maybe you're in one place in this spectrum and you, you know, want to, you're, you, as far as for philosophically speaking, want to move down down the line, you have to just kind of figure out what's the best thing for your employees, what's going to be the best thing for your leaders, are your leaders enabled to talk to it? But to, to go to the, the survey and, and kind of some of those data points that, that came out of it, 59% of employees say that pay transparency means clearly communicating with employee their total compensation. Fifty uh, percent of employees say that pay transparency means disclosing salary ranges for every role in the company, and thirty-two percent of employees say that pay transparency means disclosing the exact salary of every role, not just the range. So this, this kind of goes back to what what I said to start. Like these, there there is no one definition, and and I don't think there's a a right and wrong um, answer, but I, I think we do need to. Um, Be be cognizant of what we are doing as a company and understanding what the consequences are and trying to decide what we want to be and and when, when in that timeline you want to do it.
0: Well, Anita, I know you have some thoughts on possible approaches for pay transparency. Can you share those with us? Yeah, these are actually come up, came up with um, by Kelsey
1: Tarp on our team. So I don't want to take credit for these, but I really like how she put it together. Alex also helped contribute to this as we are trying to figure out what we wanted to do for Bamboo, so we wanted to share it with all of you. You know, the most conservative is what's required by law, so you know that's what it would be, and you would follow it to the letter of the law, and that's kind of that. Moderate would be external candidate transparency along with internal candidate transparency. Right. We noticed that we had some team members, you know, in different states that require transparency. So it forced us to think, okay, are we being more or less transparent because we're required by law in certain states than we're doing with our other internal team members? That's a challenge. Remember, we talked we want to have actually more commitment to the people already hired inside your company than candidates that might apply. So definitely think about the balance between those two. This would involve internal employees being able to learn the range of their position via conversation of their manager, even if they're in a location without pay transparency requirements by law. This could occur year-round in the context of development conversations or during your market merit promotion processes. And then the least conservative methodology you could consider is um, could involve employees internally having access to compensation data beyond their current role such as the next level compensation for their job family or similar roles. So this has kind of been my dream is like, hey, if I, if Alex hires me as a compensation analyst, because he said he would, and I am in this role now as a recruiter, is a compensation analyst horizontal down or diagonally up from where I am? And what does that mean to my pay? Because I might be in a position where I'd be willing to take less pay to learn a new skill for upside down the road. But the only way I can make that decision is by having transparency to the roles and the ranges adjacent to where I am today. This definitely is a more proactive approach and openly shows where somebody is positioned today and how they can grow. And in the spirit of development, I think that could be an exciting place as well.
0: What can HR professionals do to help organizations decide if pay transparency is a good plan for them?
1: Look, Alex came up with these buckets with Kelsey and our team to give us some guide rails. I encourage you to take these or make some guide rails of your own and try them on. And talk to your CEO first around it and get their thoughts. Because like we learned in the survey, pay transparency means different things to different people. So I'd like you to define what does pay transparency mean to you? What does it mean to your organization? What are the buckets or the range of the spectrum that we want to define? And what are the impacts for leaders and team members? Also, don't forget what problem are you trying to solve? Um, You know, are you significantly underpaying? Are you significantly overpaying? Are people leaving no matter what? Can you not attract people into certain jobs? So be conscious of the problem that you want to solve before you go tackle this. And, you know, we really want employees to know where they are and where they can go. I think that's one of the proactive solutions we're driving for. So how do you put that together in a way that propels and aligns performance forward? Because if people are unsure about how they get paid and they're focused on that, they're not doing their job. So it could be a real high but bad activity to make sure that people understand how they're paid.
0: Yes. And and what do employees view as positives and negatives of salary transparency, Alex?
2: Yeah, uh, there's there's some uh, data points that came came out of uh, the survey and it it's a fewer employees say that paid transparency isn't the right way forward, meaning that more employees want paid transparency and and as you look at even legislation, this this is the way that the world is moving towards. So to some degree, we need to embrace you know, paid transparency and, and kind of hit that minimum standard. But the, the survey said that 24% of employees say the drawbacks of paid transparency outweigh the benefits. So I, I think that there, there are things that you have to think about as you, as you decide what's best for you and, and how you get there. You, know, you have to think about what one big thing is how how mature is your your compensation practice do you have established ranges for all of your your roles do you adhere to the philosophy that you're telling your employees like if you say that we pay at the midpoint you know we we pay on average at the 50th percentile when they go and see their position in range when you introduce a higher level of transparency is that Is there going to be congruence between what you're saying and what you're doing? And then I think a big thing is, is the enablement of of your managers is, are your managers going to be able to, as the front, the kind of the front line to all your employees, be able to talk to you and, and speak, speak your compensation philosophy and practice well. Um, So all these things uh, have to, have to be in, in you know, working out together so that that you can move up the spectrum of of transparency if that's what your organization decides.
0: Well, before we move on, I think we should talk about the law requirements around transparency. I know that you've got some advice there, Anita.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the net here, which we've hit already is that if you're in a state that requires transparency, you need to move quickly with leaders so everyone understands what they need to do. Like, we don't want anyone to get hung up because we're missing on being compliant This is a base hit for everybody. So figure out how, what you're missing and most importantly, spend time enabling leaders to be your partner in it and to help be setting leaders up for success in these conversations is so important. So make sure you get to a philosophy, talk about what you're sharing, what you're not and how you maintain that parity between external and internal team members, external candidates, internal team members.
0: Well, thank you, Anita. Um, we had, there is so much content today. Maybe we'll have to do a part two of this because there's just so much to deliver on this topic. The show needs a to be continued because we till have two sections to get to. Yes. <laughs> so I'm just going to wrap us up. Thank you so much, Anita and Alex. Really appreciate your time today. Here's the special heart for you with all the hearts com- coming out. <laughs> Um, thank you so much. Before we wrap up, Anita, I know you've got three takeaways for our audience today. Do you want to take us through those?
1: Well, if you're a manager that's bringing up salary, you can bring it up, but make sure you do so in the context of the business and it's own alignment with your paid philosophy. I think we talked a lot about that and enabling leaders to be successful in this conversation. Alex has spent a lot of time in the last year training leaders and partnering with our leaders to be successful. This is a big part of our role. And if you don't have a comp philosophy tied into your mission, visions, and employee value proposition, plan on building one so that you can decide where you are on the spectrum of transparency. So those are the things that we really spent our time on. We'll come back with a part two for sure. So thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Vanessa. Always great to be here with you all and all of our heroes. Make sure you join HR Heroes so we can pick up the conversation and all your awesome comments and share the information we're all learning together. You all are incredible, doing great work. Thanks for being our heroes and creating great places to work. Vanessa and Alex, have a super day and have a great day. All of you, thanks for joining.
2: Thanks for joining us for HR Unplugged. This series is brought to you by BambuHR. Visit us at BambuHR.com HR unplugged for video versions of the podcast, additional resources, and to learn more about how BambuHR sets people free to do great work.